Acts chapter 19 this morning, verses 21 through 28. So when you do get there, uh, whether you're on your old school hard copy Bible or on your phone, please go ahead and stand and uh, we'll read the word and we'll pray for the message this morning. Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 28. All right. And it reads, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. A man, excuse me, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in Almost all of Asia, this Paul has persecuted and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods, and there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into dis, uh, dispute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, just another opportunity to come before you, Lord. We thank you for uh, your word, how it's mighty and active and powerful, Lord. We uh, just pray over this passage now, Lord, and that you would speak to our hearts about uh, what goes on here. Where is Jesus in the midst of these scriptures here? And how can we uh, apply this to our lives? How can we see the benefit of siding with you and not going man's way, Lord? So please speak to our hearts now. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, this morning has been wild. So It's so funny, right? Like, and it's one of the points here in the message. But, uh, you know, just from the onset, there's just been all kind of little technical glitches going on um, this morning. And, and uh, you know, but it's, it's funny. Again, uh, a distraction as it would be called. So uh, we don't need technology. We need the Word of God. All right. Last week, we learned the many dangers of not having a right relationship with Jesus, or as I would like to say, faking it with Christ. We also witnessed those who did have a change of heart and did in turn, because of what they saw happen to the sons of Sceva, the seven sons of Sceva, they, had, uh, they grew a reverent fear for the Lord. They discarded all of their magical belongings, their witchcraft, all the things that they were a part of, and they burned all those items. They got rid of them. They wanted nothing to do with uh, that kind of lifestyle. Today we will see those on the other side who chose to remain uh, hardened and not be moved by the greatness of who God is and not be moved by His majesty. Driven by wealth and the loss of profits, we'll encounter a man named Demetrius and see how this man kind of stirred the pot a little bit more and added fuel to the fire. He basically contributed to this, uh, this ongoing revolt that was happening in uh, the land of Ephesus. He persuaded many in his trade to fight against the work of the Lord. But we will see even through that how God is gracious and merciful and how he still uh, is to receive all glory and honor and that his work is not thwarted even by man's plans to try to go against him. We have several main points this morning and the first one is this. As we have seen over and over in the Word of God, whenever there is a work going on for Him, 
there will be opposition. And it's just, it's, it just makes me laugh because, again, it may be something as, as, as simple and futile as, you know, uh, the Zoom uh, app not working, uh, you know, trying to record the message and it's saying the Wi-Fi is cutting out, you know, all these little things. But in any event, whenever you are truly serving the Lord, moved by the Holy Spirit, it's so funny, <laughs> OneDrive isn't working, that there's going to be opposition. Things are going to come up. It's not going to just be this smooth ride without any kind of bumpy waves or without, you know, things getting a little dicey. There's no way that you and I can effectively be used to carry out the work of the Lord and not face opposition. This is honestly the natural order of living for Jesus Christ in a fallen world. You're going to face opposition. Mockers will mock. Scoffers will scoff, as we see in the text this morning. And it all boils down, really, to the exclusive claim of Jesus, Jesus Christ. The exclusivity, if you will. Because there's only one way to be right with God the Father. There's not two different ways. There's not 22 different ways. There's only one way. If the way that is true of how to be right with God the Father through Jesus Christ, if this way was broad, then all the scoffers, all the mockers, everyone would be happy because everyone in this room could have their own different way of being right with God. And that would appease people from being antagonistic and being angry at the fact that, no, there's only one way to Jesus Christ or to God the Father through Jesus Christ, I should say. It's this claim of the exclusivity. I'm having a hard time saying that word, and it's not the mask. (laughs) If this wasn't true, right, what truth is, if this wasn't true, there would be no false. Hence, there would be no truth because everything would be okay. Everything would be true. But we know in order for something to be true, something has to be false. So even in itself, at the heart of everything, truth is is truth because there has to be a falsehood so jesus christ is true everything else is a falsehood and this is what angered these people and they did not want to receive the fact that there's only way to one way to be right with god they wanted to believe that their many gods were okay and they could worship them artemis other known as diana the sex goddess i said it in church that's what it is this was what they worshipped. All the practices of that, all the ungodliness of, of, of what they were doing in those, uh, in, those t- in those temples, this is what was going on here. So that's our first point. The second point this morning is this. The greed of one person has the potential to influence many people. This man, Demetrius, he made a comfortable living manufacturing false idols for the people of that region. He was okay with the way, meaning uh, that was what Christianity was before it coined the name Christianity. He was okay with the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ as long as it didn't affect his wallet. As long as he could still make his false gods and have people consume the false images he was creating and he could make money he was okay with jesus christ he was okay with the teaching that paul would preach and teach once he realized that his financial state would suffer because of some people not buying his product he then went on the offense he then created a plan to try to figure out how he could continue to keep receiving money and keeping his business afloat plotting and launching a plan to try to undo the work that Paul had already begun. This greed, this anger and frustration was dangerous simply for the fact that people are always looking for someone or something to follow. Unbeknownst to us, even if we don't realize it, you're going to worship something. You may not call it worship, but you're going to worship something. You're either going to worship Jesus Christ or you're going to worship everything else. You're going to worship man or you're going to worship a man-made ideology. And, and, and we have to be aware of, of this in our own lives personally. But this is what was going on with this man, Demetrius, here. 
The third main point is this. This civil unrest, if you will, or this rioting or this gathering up, this mob mentality of these people opposing the work of Jesus Christ, at the core, it revealed the hardness of their hearts. Every individual that began on this journey to riot and to plot and to fight back against the word of God, it reveals a hardened heart. Regardless of any individual's sense of, I'm doing this because, well, for our day it would be because it's my right, because I have the freedom to, uh, unless it's for the Lord, it's revealing hardness of heart. Unwilling to be moved to see the truth, those who were not in agreement with Paul and the Lord decided decided to start a riot. There was, there was nothing peaceful about this. There was nothing peaceful about their disdain for the things of God. They, they were not persuaded to be changed. They were not persuaded to have a reverent fear for God. Even after witnessing an unclean spirit come out of a man who falsely tried to cast out that unclean spirit because they used the name of Jesus Christ and seeing seven men. If I saw seven men... You take one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So this whole front row. If I saw an unclean spirit jump on all of y'all <laughs> and whoop everybody up and y'all run out of here naked and beaten up and afraid, screaming and crying, I mean, that's more than enough to change my life forever to be like, praise God, praise Jesus Christ, right? But these people, these groups of people who witnessed this, even after that, they still had a disdain. They still had an unhealthy disregard for the things of Jesus Christ. It was these people who were not moved to submit. And there's a danger in that. And it's showing their hardness of heart. Their hearts were heart, hardened to the things of the Lord. We shouldn't be surprised when we witness, even in our day today and age, the hatred that some express towards God. It's simply because our natural bend is to be sinful and to defy God. It doesn't matter if it is subtle or extreme. Without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, our lives will not be affected to serve the Lord. Unlike those who witnessed these sons of Sceva, the incident... They were overcome with fear. Those that were overcome, it was because the Holy Spirit got a hold of them and brought them to their senses to receive the truth that they needed to uh, submit to him and do away with the things that they were involved in. All right, so now that since we have a bit of background of what these, uh, these scriptures are about, let's go ahead and uh, get into it. And I am totally disregarding Zoom. I don't even want to do it anymore. That's just, it's just so crazy. It's not good to have a screen in front of your face and you're trying to teach and all these things, error messages and X's are popping up. I'm like, oh, come on, stay away. All right, let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 19, verses 21 and 22. And it says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Okay, so after this event that happened with the unclean spirit jumping on these men, whooping them up, it was Paul's intention. He wanted to continue on in his ministry journey, the missionary journey to Rome. That's where he wanted to ultimately end up. Now, he was guided by the Holy Spirit, and he determined this. It wasn't because he just thought it up in his mind. It's the Holy, the Holy Spirit had impressed it upon him that he needed to get to Rome. And at some point, he would. He decided to travel through Macedonia and Achaia, then Jerusalem, all those different points, and then he would get to Rome. Luke doesn't mention here the reason in the text, right? Our writer of this book does not mention why, but one of the reasons was for Paul to go through to these different churches and collect the funds, uh, excuse me, and to deliver the collected funds that had been brought up so he could bring them to the church in Jerusalem. That was the reason for, for one of the reasons for doing that. 
This also reflects Paul's passion to visit and serve the many Christian communities that were already there, that he wanted to help. Again, his main purpose was obviously to get the word of God out, to show people the truth of who Jesus Christ was. But Paul wasn't settled with just planning churches and and planning uh, disciples. He wanted to see people mature. He wanted to see people grow. He wanted to make sure the roots of those young believers were growing strong in Christ and they were maturing to continue that cycle. And for us today, that should be our effort as well. Even if you look at the young lady in that video, uh, you know, doing the shoe boxes, the, those acts that she do, does, the things that she does, I mean, that, that's that's planting, that's planting seeds, but it's also uh, what she does with the art and the other ways the Lord uses her. It's building up those in her community that are Christians, and that's what we want to see in our lives. So this is what we see with Paul here. He wasn't content with just merely sharing Christ once with people. He wanted to see people grow and mature. The interesting thing about Paul wanting to go to Rome, right? So he would get to Rome, but it wouldn't be the way that he had envisioned that he would get through to Rome, right? He's been through so much. He would go through shipwrecks. He would go through scourging. He would go through beatings. He would go through imprisonment. You know, I don't know if Paul envisioned that he was going to suffer like that to get to Rome. And so for us today, there may be things that we want to go through. And again, I will use that young lady as an example because that's fresh in my mind, but you know, maybe first off when she developed that disease, I don't know if she thought that she was going to reach many for Christ with that disability. But yet the Lord did not take the disability away, and yet he uses her in probably even a mightier way than had he healed her and she been used. So either way, the Lord's purpose will prevail, but it may not look the way we think it should look in our minds. Now we are entered, now we uh, are visited by Timothy again and this man Erastus. Well, who, who are they and what are they doing? Well, we know Timothy. He's a young pastor. And obviously Erastus was a servant of the Lord in some form of fashion. It doesn't say specifically what he does, but he is a believer in Christ. And Paul sent these men to Macedonia uh, to minister and to help out. Basically what they did were they were assistants to Paul and they helped him with the simple tasks that needed to be done. Uh, this is amazing because what it does, uh, it reveals to us the importance of the fact that there's no Lone Rangers, the fact that we all play a part, the fact that we need people to come alongside us and help us to develop and continue to, uh, you know, see the church grow and to flourish, right? It, it cannot be one person. That's very dangerous when you have one person doing everything, right? You need other people in the body of Christ to come alongside you and to help you, right? This is, this is all throughout Scripture. We think of Moses when he was on the mountaintop. And what happened? When his arms were tired, he didn't just keep his arms up. He had those around him to help him keep his arms up. And as long as his arms were up, the battle was being won by the people of Israel. But if he didn't have his brothers next to him helping him, what would have happened? It simply would have been a bad look. And so again, for us today, no one should try to go it alone. We all need the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ to accomplish God's purpose. Okay, let's move on to the heart of our message here in the last remaining five verses. So I'll go down to uh, verses 23 through 25. And it says... About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into dispute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may, be, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So there's a whole lot going on here with 
perspective, perception, worship, who's serving who, who's doing what, who's gaining, who's taking, who's giving, who's not giving, and who's receiving. When the work was going so well, and when Paul was thinking about leaving Ephesus, another commotion or another disturbance arose. Again, we see this that there's, there's always dispute. There's always dissension when you are serving the Lord. It's never going to be just you go out and you witness to someone and that's all that happens. There's going to be some pushback. In some way, form, or fashion, you will experience it because it's the supernatural act of the spiritual battle that we are all entangled in. Even though we are on the victorious side, this side of heaven, we will experience what is known as spiritual warfare when we step out in faith, professing Christ to a fallen world. And this is what Paul was experiencing here. Again, for the third time in Acts and the second time in this chapter, we see the Christian movement is called the way. This is what it was known as back then. Much, most definitely, the early church was non-denominational, right? There was not all these different titles as to, to who, who these people were and what they did. They were known as the way simply because they followed the ways of Jesus Christ, right? They followed the practices of Christ. Everything that he was about, they followed it. And so that name got coined the way, and it was the way of Jesus Christ. Far too many times, uh, you know, in our day and age, unfortunately, some in the church, we divide over trivial things, right? Is it, is it salvational? If it's not a salvational issue, we should not get territorial and combative and fight over these things. We can agree to disagree, but the things that need to be essential is Christ, the only way to God the Father, right? That's all we need to that's all we need to really agree upon. All the other things, you know, it's too much some people believe you have to be water baptized. You know what? Let the Holy Spirit reveal to that person that that's not correct. But some people stand so firm on that. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not a real believer. That's another thing because there's so many different spiritual gifts that every individual is given, right? We don't want to differ and fight about those things. Now, if someone's being heretical and saying some all kind of other nonsense, then you know, yes, you know, that's not true. I'm going to stay away from that. But if it's certain things, I mean, you know, it is what it is. People don't want to wear makeup. That's fine. People want to, you know, wear dresses. That's fine. You know, but we should not, we should not fight one another about things that, you know, it's really not that deep. The Holy Spirit has to reveal to an individual what is true and what is not true in the word of God. All right. So now we're introduced to this man named Demetrius. So we already know from earlier in the text, he's a silversmith. And again, he made, he, he made a living yeah, it says that no little profit was made. So that, that means he actually made a whole lot because <laughs> it wasn't a little bit of money that came in. Remember, this was a region that was immersed in false religion. They loved the worship of their false gods. And so how are you going to worship your false god unless you have somebody manufacturing, making you a little trinket idols that you can carry around in your pocket, have on your, you know, your, your mantle at home? Uh, you know, have on your table at work. There had to be someone to do that, right? And so this was the man. This was the man. This is one of the main people regarded as the manufacturer of these false gods. And even today in our day and age, you can drive on the freeway. And again, it's not disrespecting anyone's beliefs. It's just clearly making a judgment call and pointing out that's a false god. When I see a little golden elephant sitting on a little, you know what I mean, little square sitting on somebody's, um, you know, console on their dashboard, that's crazy. I'm like, wow, that's, that's, that's a trip. But you see that. We see that in this area because there's false religions all around us. This is still alive and active today. This temple to Diana... This is, again, her AKA, also known as Artemis, in Ephesus, was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So this was, 
this was a big deal, right? This was not just some small thing. People would come from all over the known world to this temple to witness it. It's, uh, you know, it, again, it was something that, that people would, would bring their families to and they would sightsee. It's almost like, you know, going to Disneyland or Disney World. It was a big deal. It was one of those things. It stuck out. It was something that people knew about. It wasn't something that was undisclosed and it was not publicized. It was very public about this false god in this temple. Um, to describe it, uh, some of its descriptions, it was, it was very big. It was supported by 127 pillars, each that were 60 feet high, and it was decorated with great sculptures. So there was a lot of, of man-made ingenuity, a lot of craftsmanship that went on, right? They prided themselves on the beauty of this temple and what it provided for them, this false sense of security and this false hope in a false God. It's pretty, it's just, it's pretty crazy some of the stuff that, that it spoke about, about this, this temple. The epicenter of Artemis worship was like a, like a if you could imagine, a black meteorite that, that resembled uh, and had been fashioned, so a big rock, but they fashioned it into a grotesque image of a woman. So it's, again, a lot of sculpting going on here. You, you think of all the different, um, you know, the different statues in Rome, right? The, the naked images of the bodies and things of that nature. It was something along the lines of that, but dedicated to this false god Artemis. It was, uh, it was, it was to be a symbolism of fertility. So literally what they would do there, just use your imagination. How are, you know, babies come into the world? That's what went on there. That's what they did. That, that was, it was like, you know, L.A.'s, I can't say L.A.'s finest, but it was like that lifestyle. That's what they were doing. But they were coining it as a church. They coined it as temple worship. This is what they did. Another very important aspect to this temple, which made a lot of sense to, to Demetrius and probably spoke to why he fought so, so desperately to keep the money coming in, was that this temple was also a major treasury and bank of the ancient world, where many merchants, many kings, even cities made deposits to this temple and where their money could be kept safe and protected. So... Everyone, governments, right, heads of government on down to the independent person that made money, maybe even to the farmers, the agricultural people of that, that region, they all had money, they all had funds vested in this false god in this temple. So it was a big deal. It included all the people in that area. Because there was such a great economy and a demand for these idols that Demetrius made, it was a big deal when Paul started preaching and teaching. And after that event with the sons of Sceva, people started going away from this false worship. It started to affect Demetrius now because now he's seen, wow, it went from just this man coming in, preaching and teaching to people actually listening to this man preach and teach and people ditching this way that I've made so much money on. Now it's starting to affect me personally. He was well off financially from crafting these idols, and now he was standing to lose a whole lot of money. Aside from the money, the application for us is this. Right off the bat, we as believers should recognize that this was wrong simply for the fact that we are to worship the true and living God, the God of all creation, and not the God of our own creation, and not the God made by our own hands. Exodus chapter 2, verse 20, excuse me, verse 2 down through 6 tells us this. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So it is crystal clear in the scriptures that we are not to have false gods. We are not to worship 
any created image that man makes or that we, uh, you know, we think is right to give our attention to. The problem with this is mankind has still not learned to obey this command from the Lord, right? And the reality is this. We may not worship in our culture today carved images, but many worship at the altar of the World Wide Web. Many worship at the altar of technology. Many worship at the altar of social media, right? These are just some of the things, and and, and worship really is, when you break it down, it's what do you spend the majority of your time doing? What do you spend the most of your time doing? What do you wake, what do you, what do you think about in the middle of the night? What do you wake up encouraged about? What are you passionate about? What do you spend your time trying to figure out and plan for, right? These typically are the things that one will worship because we make time for what's important, right? If I find the time to watch eight hours of football on a Sunday and I wake up in the morning and I got to watch the pregame and I'm yelling at my kids because you're in the way. No, you're not watching Word Party. Go watch it on the other TV. I'm watching, I'm watching the Fox pregame. And then I don't get up, but I ask, tell my wife, make that, make that one, that one, uh, you know, that one dish. It's super good. Don't forget the guacamole. I need it. Right. And, and, and throughout the whole day, I have not left the couch, but to go to the restroom, but maybe to go to the refrigerator to grab another cold drink. But I spent, because I mean, a football game, you got to figure one football game watching it from home, you're spending at least three hours for sure. With the halftime, with all the commercials, with the injuries, whatever, you're, you're watching, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. For me, and, I, and, I, and I'm not going to lie, I'm not telling tell my wife what to do and go make the thing with the guacamole, but I've been guilty of, of watching football all day long. And I've also been convicted of it, you know, because again, what you spend the most of your time doing, that's what you worship. Do we, do we, do we spend that much time in God's word? And I know it's not measured by time, but it's measured by what's, where's my heart in it, you know? And if there's no check in your heart when you can spend... Eight hours watching a football game, but you can't spend an hour and a half in service. Or if the pastor goes over a little bit, it's an issue. There's an issue there. Or if worship, does worship have to be just two songs in that, in that form, formula, in that form, formula, formulaic way? What if, what, if, what if Michelle, when she sings, goes over? What if she sings another song that wasn't even something that she even practiced, but the Lord showed it to her? Are we okay with that? Do we leave room for the Holy Spirit in our personal lives? Or do we have everything broken down to a strategic way that this is my plan, this is what I do from Monday through Friday, and if my schedule gets altered in one little bit, I'm not happy with it, right? Those are the things that we have to ask ourselves. That is the true meaning of worship. What do we find our time, where, where do we find ourselves spending our time the most? And do we give God that same time? Do we, gave, do we give God that same attention to detail? Do we, that's, this is something that I'm learning that's very, that's very convicting. In praying, it's easy to talk. And I'm a talker, you know, if you haven't noticed. I think a lot of things that I say, it could probably be said in a lot less words and a lot less, uh, more, and a lot more precise. But in praying, it's so easy to talk. It's a lot, it's a whole other challenge to listen, Right? Because praying isn't just talking to God. Praying is also hearing from the Lord. What is the Lord trying to say to you? What is the Lord trying to say to me? What is he impressing upon your heart, right? And many times we rush into prayer and it's all about, well, this is my laundry list of what I have for you, Lord. And this is what, these are the problems that I have. And this is what I want you to fix in my life. And, and I need you to make all these things right. But do we take as much time and effort listening for that still small voice, what is he trying to say? What is he trying to reveal to you and me? And these are things that obviously we're going to grow more and more as believers the longer we live. But we need to take notice of these things. Where are we today with that? Do we need help? It's okay if you do. You're not alone. All right. Back to our buddy Demetrius. Oh, man. 
He was literally, again, he was stirring the pot. There was already a revolt going on. There was already people who were not moved by uh, the, uh, what, seeing what happened to the sons of Sceva. And so he took advantage of these people that decided, no, I'm not going to reverently fear the Lord. I'm not going to submit to the ways of Jesus Christ. I'm going to continue in my false worship and my false practice. And he stirred the pot. He literally, this is what he did. He persuaded his fellow craftsmen, the people that were in his trade. Again, the people that are at the top, right? If you can influence them, you're going to influence everyone else. And so since everybody else that came to buy from these certain group of people, and which Demetrius was the main one that is pointed out in Scripture, he reached out not to these other little people that were buying from him. He reached out to the other people that were on the same level or if not higher than him, the people that were in that selective group that created these images, who created these items, and basically told them about what his plan was and how. Do you see that this is hurting our wallets? Do you see that this is coming against our profit making? And he decided to work to try to get these people to back these ones that were already clamoring in the streets and causing a stir about what Christ was doing. But see, this is the, this is the interesting thing. Notice how he did it. Notice how clever he was speaking to the crowd. He first appealed on the basis of their financial self-interest and then on the basis of civil pride, right? This reveals how many are guided solely on the basis of financial security or what their rights are. If you look at our country today, no matter what side you fall on the political spectrum, A lot of people are spending a lot of time focused on their rights. When you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, it's all about their rights. It's all about their rights and how they don't have rights and I'm gonna fight because I have my rights. When you look at the other side, it's all about their rights. I got the right to tote a gun. I got the right to do this. I got the right because I'm an American. It's all about their rights. And I think when you really look at the situation Where's Christ in all of it? Yes, for Black Lives Matter, you have the right for, to, to, to be equal to everyone else. For the other side, yes, you have the right to, 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 to carry a concealed weapon or whatever and have that if that's what you, know, you, you think. But where's Jesus in that? Because I think Jesus wouldn't say, you're going to run around toting guns, but you're not also going to run around and be hating people because you think that your culture has been wrong for so long. There's got it. Where's Christ in the middle of all of that, right? That, that's, that's, what I, that, that's a personal conviction of mine. That's what I'm trying to see. Where's Jesus in this? Because I think a lot of people are getting so caught up in all these different little movements. But it's like, where's Jesus in that? Did Jesus call you to do that? Or are you just doing that because you think that's your right? It's not. It's not right. You should not loot and destroy cities because you think you've been wronged. By the same token, you shouldn't run around with guns trying to scare people because it's your right. You know, I don't see Christ doing either of those things in the scripture, but I do see see Christ praying and I do see Christ gently telling people and trying to persuade people to come to him. And so for these people here, we see that they were guided because Demetrius was cunning. He spoke to, look, it's hurting your wallet and it's hurting the fact that you have the right to fight against this. And so it was a very clever scheme that worked for many of these people. The reality for him and many of them was as long as, as long as the money was coming in, things were good. But once hard times hit, they were willing to do whatever they had to do to keep the money coming in. And this is what we see. He wasn't willing to compromise. He wanted to make sure that the money that he made was still coming in on a regular basis. And so this is why the scheme and the plot to gather these people and to persuade them to continue came into play. But the Bible is crystal clear that everyone, you and me, we all need to decide in our own hearts who we are going to serve at the end of the day. Matthew 6.24 tells us, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve 
God and money. Basically, you cannot serve the Lord and this world system. You're going to have to decide. Do we need money to survive? Yes, money's not evil. It's an inanimate object. It's, it's, the, it's the lust. It's the passion that we place on money and these other inanimate objects that make them be used for evil things. A gun is not an evil thing. A gun is just a gun. A gun, a gun is like a knife. A, sharp, a very sharp knife can be used gracefully to cut and to make and to prepare things for food. It can also be used to kill or murder a person. It's how you decide to use the tool. The tool is not an evil thing. It's the intent behind what is, how the tool is used that makes it evil or not evil. The application for us today is we see in our own lives right now the exact same thing happening. You look at our courts. You look at our schools. You look at our government and the removal of godly traditions reveals to us where people are choosing to place their value. You cannot serve both God and this man-made system. You are going to love one and hate the other. But when you think about it, think about um, in, in, in the courts, right? You have someone sitting on the bench as a judge. Their job is to make the most correct decision when it comes to judging fairly. Should this person be convicted? Should they not? But how can you make an honest, clear judgment without God at the center? You can't. You're going off of man's perspective, man's laws that have been created, which they are put in place to help society, but do not take God out of the courts and expect that you are going to make correct judicial decisions. It's not going to work. You look at our school system. Teachers are brought up and geared to teach. If you don't homeschool, you send your children, I send my children somewhere for six hours. Well, not now, right, because of the pandemic. But before the pandemic, we would send our children to be with some stranger we don't know for six to eight hours a day. And if you work really long hours, they were in after-school programs, all that. Okay, how are you supposed to teach without Christ? How can you take Christ out of the equation and expect to teach accurately and correctly because you can be educated but you can also be an educated fool the old saying that because I'm older I'm wiser I throw that out the window because I've met some people way older than me and they ain't smart at all I met some people that are educated I have I know people personally that are very educated that have doctorates and yes they are very knowledgeable about these things that they went to school for but you put everyday regular life things before them and they don't know what to do how are you gonna have a phd and you can't tell the difference between right and wrong that's a moral ethical thing you have no bearing you have no understanding of that but you have all these initials after your name and that makes you somebody that's not true at all so we need to understand you cannot take god out of our society and think for things to go well and we see this going on the greed of people who want their way rather than God's way can influence others who are unstable and the reality is again because everyone is searching for something everyone is seeking something to follow and if you are not already following Christ it is very easy for you to be influenced and to follow something or someone else that's why the music industry is such a big deal. We know, what did, what did Lucifer, what was he a specialist at before he became fallen? He was all about the music, right? He was all about the music. You look at the entertainment and the music industry today, and I can guarantee you there is an unclean spirit in that industry influencing and leading people to do things that are not right, to create and to make music and to make films that are appealing to the flesh. And that is why you have such a, a, a sick thing going on in that industry because, again, it's, it's, it's geared to leading people astray. If people are not sold out for Christ, it is very, it's very, who, 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 name Marcus, name somebody who's, who's, who's popular right now. Just off the top of your head. So what music artist is popular right now? 
Okay, Travis Scott. Now I don't know him personally, and I'm not. I'm not making a. I'm not making a final judgment call on that man's salvation. But I can guarantee you, he had. Because I. Because I, I. I. I see some of these videos on YouTube, and I'm like, how do these people got 30 million views? How you got all them views? And it's not because I'm jealous. I'm just like, dude. First of all, you're getting paid off that for sure. But I don't even know how you got 30 million views. I mean, some of these people, they are running and flocking to these artists. And why? Because they don't know Christ. So it's easy to be led to follow someone else. If the beat sounds good, you can't even really understand what they say. And there's a whole thing nowadays in rap music. It's called mumbled rap. I don't even know how. Why do I want to listen to someone? You, I can't even understand what you're saying. You're mumbling. What if I was up here and I just, and then Jesus did this, and then the Holy Spirit is saying, it's like, you don't want to be here. I got the mask on. You can still hear me clearly. These fools, and I'm sorry I said it, but it is what it is. They're out here, and you can't even understand what they're saying. But do you understand? But they're, but they're being influenced, right? They're being influenced to seek after these people. Again, we all know this because we're saved, but there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And if Christ doesn't fill it, something else will. That's why I used the analogy of football earlier. It could be something as harmless as football. What's wrong with watching the Niners get whooped every week? I'm just keeping it real. I'm just keeping it real. Let's keep it real. And Garoppolo, he's done. You know, Kittle's great, but he's done. I mean, it's a joke. But it's like, you know, that can't fill you. That cannot fill that God-shaped void in your heart. It's okay to enjoy those things. I'm not saying don't enjoy it. You know, whatever your musical taste is, that's fine. That's on you. That's like what, playing a video game that's kind of crazy. Don't let it influence you to start, you know, doing other stuff. Because there's we've seen things where kids were playing, what was it, that Halo or whatever. They ended up getting a shotgun, going in the bedroom and shooting and killing the parents. You know, I'm not saying the, the Halo game was solely responsible, but I'm sure it contributed because I'm going off on a rabbit hole, but it is what it is. When you fall asleep at night, and I have to tell my wife this all the time, don't leave the TV on because subconsciously, whatever garbage is going on in that television, infomercials, not, if it is, dude, you better put it on the, the, the music channel that got the Christian music. But that stuff's going on subconsciously in your mind, Right? And when these kids are playing this video game and chopping off heads and cutting people up with axes and things like that sort, well, I found daddy's shotgun. <laughs> My mind's not right. They wronged me. I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to go and just take their life. I'm, you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You're going to be influenced by some spirit. It's going to be an unclean spirit or it's going to be the Holy Spirit. Heaven forbid we never come, come under the, the influence of an unclean spirit. We want the Holy Spirit guarding us, guiding us, directing us. And unfortunately, let me get back, not unfortunately, but let me get back to the text. I'm sorry, I, I kind of went off on a, on a tangent there, um, but it all ties into play. Don't be sorry, we needed to hear it. Amen. The, witness, the witnessing of these people just to go along with Demetrius and his plan, right? Again, they heard what he said. They just decided, I'm going to just go along. You're right. My money's being affected. I got to secure for my family. I got to secure my, 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 my career. They just went along, right? It revealed the hardness of their heart. They didn't believe that the Lord could provide. So they decided to take things into their own hands. Now, I'm not saying be mindless and don't think and don't be proactive. I'm not saying you can lay in bed every day till 2.30 in the afternoon and think that you're going to be productive and the Lord's going to provide for you. Maybe he will. But he, if you have an able body and you're able to work, don't just collect unemployment. That's not right. That's not, it wasn't made for you. It was made for people that really can't work. That's cheating the system, right? But if you can think and your able body maybe things went wrong and you got laid off get on the computer rework your resume get it out there talk to people you know in your sphere of influence pray about it i guarantee the lord will open up a door and you'll be working again in no time right but these are the things they didn't believe that they believed we need to help with this revolt because well, first of all, they didn't know because they were following a false god. So I can't expect them to have that mindset. Maybe I'm coining this towards us, people that know. 
You know Jesus? Trust him. Trust him. Don't be like them because they didn't trust him and it revealed their hardened hearts. The excuse that Demetrius used that all of Asia and the world worship Diana, this is what that breaks down to. This is that old thing like everybody else is doing it. I might as well do it too. Everybody's doing it. Everybody thinks like that. I can do it as well. Well, who was raised? Who remembers your mom or your dad or your grandma or your papa say, if Tommy jumps off that bridge, are you going to go do it too? That's the reality. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean you need to join in and do it as well. We are followers of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have something called discernment, right? Everything that you go through, bring it to the Lord. Make an educated decision based on what the Lord is revealing to you. Amen? Let us be led by the Holy Spirit and how we make decisions and not be led by those around us so we cannot be like the blind leading the blind. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for... Thank you for your word, Lord, that's so timely. I I would have never thought two and a half years ago that we would be here in Acts chapter 19 in this specific passage and that it would speak directly to the things that we're going through and our society is going through today. But but you know, Lord, and your word is so true and you reveal reality to us of, of spiritual truths, Lord, that can help us to be better and to draw closer to you. Father, we want to honor you with our lives. We don't want to be those that just walk blindly into life and and think that we're going to be successful. Lord, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. So, Father, can you please help us now, direct us. Lord, we need your direction as a church. Lord, we we don't want to fail you. We want to be those that are, are, are giving glory and honor to you in everything we do. So, Lord, would you continue to direct our paths, guide us in the ways that we are to go. Lord, and I pray that you would just bless everyone who is here today, Lord. I pray for those that unfortunately tried to uh, uh, log on to Zoom and there was technical issues and the things didn't work out. I pray that you still spoke to their hearts. I pray that they got fed some other way, Lord. There's many ways to get fed, even just by opening up the word ourselves and just letting you speak to our hearts. You are the greatest pastor, the greatest preacher than any man. So may you speak to, to their hearts. May you continue to guide us. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.